Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, but I remember that beat. I, I just, I just seen everybody. I was like, "Yo, what do you think it is?" And um, and I, and I remember I prayed to God. I was, I, I remember because I went to went to Coachella and I saw him perform. I was like, "Yo, this this dude is like, he, he's next." Like it just, I just felt like he was he was the next like big thing. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. Also, to keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Grammy-nominated producer DJ Dahi, the silent giant behind Kendrick Lamar's album, Damn. In this episode, Dahi talks about his career, shares the stories behind Kendrick Lamar's Money Trees and Drake's worst behavior, and talks about working on Kendrick's latest album, Damn. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the Grammy-nominated producer, my friend, the silent giant, DJ Dahi. So, uh, so Dahi, first, uh, welcome to the show, my man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, bro. Yeah, it's very nice to have you. My man Corey, man, he's he's the man in New York, man. Oh man, come on, man, come <laughs> on, man. You the man in L.A. <laughs> trying to be. You know, we buy coastal out here, running things. Trying to be, trying to be. And so, uh, so tell me about L.A., man. What's it like growing up out there? Uh, Los Angeles, man. Um, it, the funny thing about L.A., and I think that as a kid, you you don't realize it, but when you grow up, is just how big it is. It's um, it's really divided by freeways, you know, like you have obviously major metropolis downtown, uh, where it's like, you know, mostly used to be mainly like financial district and and a lot of like corporate buildings and stuff like that. And nobody ever lived out, never really lived down there. And then you would obviously, you know, from go from work or wherever you live, whatever, and just go to go down the freeway and just drive to wherever your city is. So in actuality, you never really had to interact with anybody in the entire city based off, um, and you drive on the freeway and you go home. Nobody fucking with public transportation. It's you definitely better. can't be the brother on the bus, man. You can't be the brother on the bus. You no, know it's, it's, no. It's look, 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 look. That, that's a, that divides. In Los Angeles, for sure. Like, you, you're not getting any girls on the bus. Oh, absolutely not. Zero. Absolutely not. It's, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny because, yeah, we were, just in LA, we, were, we were just talking about that yesterday. Like, you know, like if a girl... A girl would, would not holler at you if you ride the bus. Uh, my girlfriend's um, dad was saying he, he, he grew up in L.A. in the, you know, uh, 60s and, and 70s. And he said, yeah, like, even back then, it was like, 
what kind of car you drive? He was like, damn, all right. And he, that's what he, he moved to Virginia. You know what I'm saying? That's where he lives now. He's like, I, I don't want to deal with this. You know, you know, the LA and New York over here, the yeah. two dynamics. Yeah. If I meet a girl in New York, you know, she doesn't tell me. What? So what do you do? Okay. In LA. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, for sure. For sure. It's not even, LA is, is not so much to occupy. It, it is occupation, but it definitely is like, what assets do you have? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are your assets? What do you, what do you own? What do you, you know? Um, because yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's just kind of like the way the city is and the, and the people who migrate there. But uh, my experience growing up, I grew up in Inglewood, and then my parents kind of moved around a little bit. But we all we kind of moved every every few years, um, but mostly was in between Inglewood and Hartthorne, which Hartthorne is like next to Inglewood, which is like the South Bay. But you know, like I said, the, the crazy thing I didn't re- realize was that I. I really never really met or I, I had interactions through church or through um, family, friends, when I was with like other cultures. But the majority of people that I hung out with was either black or Mexican or black and Latino or, or you know, just pretty much anybody from from um, Central America and, and just African-Americans who lived in the city. Because at the time, Inglewood and was probably about like 60. My high school was about like 60, 60 percent Latino, like 40 percent black. OK, I remember. One Filipino kid and like one white kid that went that was in JR uh, ROTC. I just remember him. This is like this one white kid. I was like, damn man, you, you, you know what I'm saying? You just see that one white kid, you were like, damn, I like, feel for you, man. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, there definitely was, um, you know, still heavy blood influence there, uh, gang like blood gangs and crip gangs in the neighborhood, and um, but for me, I never really. God never really put me in a situation where I was like, I had to kind of deal with direct, you know, gang violence. A lot of, like, I knew friends and I had friends who either got killed or went to jail or did that, had that whole lifestyle. But, you know, for me, my interest was never was really into that lifestyle of just kind of getting into, you know, some shit or having disagreements with people. It was more like, all right, cool. That's, y'all, that's what y'all doing over here. It's all good. But for me, it was always just like, yo, like, I kind of stayed to myself and 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 uh, you know played with the, played with certain kids in the neighborhood. Got into skateboarding. Got was into comic books. Was into anime. Was into um, you know music. And that was kind of like my thing, you know. And and in growing up in that community, you kind of I wouldn't say I was I was a I was a weird kid, but a lot of it was me kind of just separating myself because I just. Sometimes when you you definitely go through identity crisis, just like okay, I'm the black kid who likes this, or I'm the black who 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 fucks with this. I don't know if they fuck with it, but I do. With rap music, I didn't. I grew up listening to rap music, but I didn't. It wasn't. It really wasn't a prominent aspect of like you know. I knew all Tupac's lyrics, or I, or I was fucking with Snoop Heavy or Dre, or you know what I'm saying Eastside. You just all these different aspects of just like L.A. music. I knew, but it wasn't like a like my thing. It was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And, oh, I would know it just by them playing it in the in the in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood around you, or around me. You know what I'm saying? But I never bought a CD. I never like had. If I was buying anything, I was probably buying a, a freaking uh, John Coltrane CD or because my dad had one or something more. Just buying stuff that was playing in the house. My dad would go to the Swami in El Camino College. Uh, call it Rodium and empty uh, drive-in movie lot. They convert it to like a swap meet on on Sundays. Okay, so they just go out there and sell. You know, everybody just sell whatever. 
So my dad would go in there and I would just buy random instruments, just like just random bongos and and drum sets and and uh, flutes and and just just. The funny thing is, he bought an instrument, but nobody in the house could play any of the shit. <laughs> he just would go buy For decoration. Yeah, like my stepdad would go buy after watching like uh, a Wesley Snipes movie. He would go swap me and buy nunchucks and some swords and like a fake black belt and just have it in the house. But nobody actually used any of the shit. Just like you know, he just would go buy shit. So he, we used to have instruments in the house. Um, so I kind of just started playing music in the house just for fun. Just like oh. We got a drum set, and it's like, oh, let me just go in there and just start, you know, just start playing with stuff. And, you know, there's a bass guitar in there. Oh, let me go in there and start playing with that. Just kind of fiddling, fiddling around just because it was in the house. So when did you uh, start getting into wanting to produce music? Like, where, where was that in your life? I probably didn't really know I wanted to produce until I was probably around, like, 24. You know, 24. Whoa, really? Like, well, what did you want to be? What was your, your career track, and what did you want to become when you were a kid? I would say the the track I was going down was like, all right, I'll probably end up being a teacher. Like I didn't, that was one facet that I I kind of felt was respectable and I wasn't really tripping about the money. It was more like, all right, let me just it seem seems like a, a cool field and I like I love being around kids. Like I just like I love being around the youth and kind of just their energy is always like kind of keeps me upbeat, you know. So that was kind of like my first inkling of like that's what I think I really want to do. And, and where'd you attend college? UC Santa Cruz. Okay, what was your college experience like? Uh, it was beautiful, man. Um, to me, that college was really the first time I really discovered hip hop because I think, and even producers, like one of my friends from LA, like she was from Whittier, and I met her and we became really good close friends. And then so she just started just taking me to concerts and just and and putting me in like all these different spaces and playing me music. Can't go into the record store like, oh, you need to fuck with this, you need to get this, you get the guess. And it was like, okay. And then all of a sudden, like, it just kind of grew. It was like, oh, I remember this beat. I used to love this beat. Who made this? Or oh, that was Dilla. Or who did this? Do that. That was Premier. Uh, who made this beat? Uh, that was Timberland. And you start to just figure out, like, oh, wow, damn. So this is, I, you know. And for me, I always, every hip-hop record I can tell you for to date from high school, like, I don't know what the fuck they were saying, but the, I can tell you the beat like, <laughs> like a motherfucker. And, and that's just how my ears were always attracted to the instrumentals. Like, I never... I, I would listen to the lyrics later. I used to listen to the lyrics maybe three times, three or four times after I listened to the record. But when I first hear that, it's just the beat. That's all, that's all I listen to. I don't even listen to what the hell this person is talking about. Like, it was, just, it was the beat. It was the beat. And so that was kind of like my introduction when I was in, in college that kind of helped me. Like, oh, okay, this is dope. And that's when I got into DJing, and that's when I got into, like, you know, kind of figuring out, oh, how do you make a beat? Oh, this is the software you use, and you start making beats from it, you know? It wasn't really in college that I knew I was going to do producing. Um, I think it was really probably when I graduated, and in that time span, um, I started to work with some local acts in, in the area and started to just just work with them and just kind of build with them, so... I think when Dilla died, Jay Dilla died, which I think was in 2006 or 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Around that time. 2006. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that was a huge part because I remember I just seen him perform, and I didn't realize to that point that he was, he was that sick, and then he died, you know, within that year. And in that time span, it, it just kind of definitely made me realize, you know, man, I, 
I don't have time to really waste if I really have an interest in just doing anything with the arts or doing music or doing producing or whatever. Because even at that time, like I didn't, I'm trying to, you know, connect the dots and, and just get with people. But I still didn't even know if I what if I was going to produce. I was just like, I'm just going to go down there and, and and go to school. Like I went to school for audio engineering school, audio engineering for a year when I moved to LA. And I was like, I'm just going to try to find a side job and kind of figure out, you know, making beats and that was the goal of it but I didn't know like if I make it you know what I'm saying this is going to happen you know because I think I had to take the risk and say like you know I don't want to have a job that I'm sitting in and I'm not really that happy like I would wake up I'm, I'm paid like I'm chilling like money's in my pocket and you know went out to work you know just just that nine to five hustle but also to the release of just kind of getting off work and you just look towards the weekends right like that lifestyle is 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 it's, I wouldn't even say it was it's bad, but it, I got comfortable. I got real comfortable with that thing. And then I was like, no, nah, I, I don't, I have no drive of doing this. If I, and especially in the job, I wasn't happy. Like, I'm constantly looking at my watch, like, damn, when is it five o'clock? When is it five o'clock? When is it five o'clock? Right. And I was music, it was like, you know, you just lose time. So, so yeah, I just was like, yo, I'm, I really want to make this thing happen and, and make the move. And, you know, lo and behold, you know what I'm saying? It, it, I got there and it, and it took some time, but, Overall, it was just, I knew I had just had to because I just knew this particular thing I wasn't going to be happy in. Uh, who were some of the early acts you were making beats for? Ah, oh, man. Um, first, I mean, one of the first beats I remember um, while, I was in, I was in, while I was in San Francisco was this rapper named Jernai, uh, and he was a part of a group... Um, I forgot the name of his group, uh, Native something, or I could be wrong, but he was one of the first rappers I, I sold a beat to in, in the San Francisco for like maybe like a couple hundred dollars or something like that. And I was like, shit, I'll take a hundred dollars <laughs> any day. And what was that feeling like having somebody like buy your beat? I thought it was dope, man. Like I, I thought it was cool. I mean, I think overall it's like you don't, I think for, I think the idea of selling music is, 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 Plus and minus for the fact that I think, you know, you want to make it. You want to be able to live off your, your art and, and do it. But when in that, those very beginning, early stages, like, you just happy that somebody's fucking with your shit. Like, you think it's dope, but you if I play it for you, you'd be like, damn, oh, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, but somebody's like, yo, that shit's just kind of hot, man. Let me, let me spit something on that. And so... Just that feeling of just like, oh man, okay, he, he really liked the beat, you know what I'm saying? He really was 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 fucking with it. A lot of my beats at that time definitely still had a copycat feel, you know what I'm saying? Where somebody's like, oh, this sound this sounds like you know something that Black Milk would make, you know what I'm saying? At the because Black Milk was like a huge influence in my production because I just always loved his beats. So just just kind of like knowing style wise who I I I took a little piece from here to, and and made it into this, and then that person ended up liking it because I knew okay, he probably fucks with. Knife, uh, either Knife Wonder or Black Milk or, um, you know, whoever. Let me give him. Let me. I got these type of beats and you know, give them to him. So, overall, it was it was just a great feeling. Like, it was just dope because it was like, oh, somebody actually likes my beats, you know. Um, and and the funny thing, I used to do. I used to actually do while I was in San Francisco. I used to do these beat uh, competitions where I would go and it'd be like a rap battle, but you just go into a room and at, at a club and everybody just plays beats. So, I did a couple of those in, in San Francisco and that was really cool. Where I think at the time it was it was a couple of people from um, hieroglyphics. They were in the um, the, doing the judging and 
they were they were fucking with a lot of my beats. What, as well what too, was though. uh what was it like competing in the beat show? Man, the funny thing about the beat show was like, and it kind of it, it it goes with rap battles too. It's like it's not really about having a great beat. It's more about making the crowd react. You know what I'm saying? Like it's more like having flips and turns and boop, 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 sound effects and, you know, and movement. So it's not, that doesn't make you a great producer at all. And I remember I lost one battle to a friend, a friend of mine in college. And, and uh, the funny thing is that in my, in my head, like, I know I'm better than this cat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's not even, it's not even night and day where it's like, I've heard your beats and I know my beats is like, like they just, I just have that feeling that you don't have, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, I, like, you don't have it. Like, I, God gave, rained down on me and gave me this gift of <laughs> making beats. You don't have it. You know what I'm saying? Just that feeling. But when I lost, I was like, okay, this is, this is the most, this is probably the most shameful thing I've, I've, I've experienced in a very long time because I just knew, like, I was like, this, this motherfucker really, y'all, y'all really <laughs> think this dude made better, better, I made a better beat to me? Um, but it was all good. It, I, I, didn't, I wasn't better. I just, I just kind of knew that. And you know, especially your thing, you you bring your friends, so you just you got a couple crowd, and your mates like your people. I brought like maybe five people, and he brought like twenty, twenty motherfuckers, right, right, right. Because <laughs> it's also crowd reaction. Yeah, crowd. So reaction. If you bring twenty. Yeah, you bring twenty. Like they gonna go hype. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, oh. So that kind of kills the like. All right, y'all niggas is tripping. Uh, where did you get your moniker? DJ, DJ Dahi. That's Dahi's my middle name. Okay, what does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody try to hit me with the. Uh, since since I'm African, what's your what does Dahi mean? Was, I, I say the great, the great sunshine. Yeah, it is. It is what you make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's everything. It's all encompassing. Uh, yeah, but no, it's, it's Dahi's my uh, my dad's first name. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's the that's the correlation. Got it. Got yeah. it. What was the first moment in your career where you were like, "Yo, um, I think this is gonna work out." Me being a producer. To be honest, the first probably moment I knew. I was like, okay, I can actually like really like make something out of it. Was probably when I had um, the Kendrick Lamar placement. So, uh, how did that come about? Uh, it came about really from just me working with. Um... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My manager and my friend, a couple of my friends who uh, were A&Rs at a few labels and stuff. And it was kind of a joint effort where, you know, I had started working with a, a TDE um, first with Schoolboy Q when he had put out his project, um, Habits and Contradiction. And I did a song called Sexton. And for that record, uh, you know, people really fucked that record pretty tough. And so um, for me, 
meeting him, I, I kind of had a in with the whole TD crew. And then uh, I remember um, right after, I think Coachella had um, happened when Kendrick performed, um, I had sent Ke- uh, Kendrick some, a couple of beats through, um, through my boy Tunji and also through Brock. And then, um, you know, I guess he heard one of them and, and that was Money Trees. Um, they ended up being Money Trees, the record that came out on, on Good Kid, Mad City. And so um, I think that record kind of meant a lot for me, just the fact that, like, okay, like, just to, to have to be an, an, uh, an artist of that caliber, that big, who had that big of a shine and who had that big of a, like, release and also that big of a, like, you know, um, that, that kind of look was like, okay, damn, everybody kind of knows who I am now uh, somewhat. Um, and even in that, beforehand, and I had other places beforehand, too. Like, I had records with Dom Kennedy, who was, you know, coming up in L.A. and had a big, big, uh, big rise. Uh, I did that record, My Type of Party, which was, like, a, his one of his biggest records. Um, and they just kind of just really just meet local artists and be like, yo, can I get on this again? And that's or just kind of build, building a good base of just like, okay, if you're in L.A., you should, you should fuck with Die because he's first, uh, first and foremost, he's working with L.A. artists. But also, too, it's like a, that's a sound that's coming out of L.A. That's, that I, I kind of became a part of. Describe the scene for me in L.A. at that time, because you're, you're bouncing around these different, um, different rappers and different producers mm-hmm. and getting in the scene. What was the scene like in L.A. at that moment? It was great, man. Like, L.A. from literally probably from 2007 to 2012 um, had, like, a really kind of growing thing where you had a lot of people around my age started to just start to work together and build and from all parts of L.A. So around around um, 2007, when I moved back to Los Angeles from, from San Francisco, that's when uh, uh, they called the New West was, was bubbling. So you had, you know, um, Blue, which is a, a dope artist growing up. And then um, you had Toronto Air Mari, you had Pac Div, you had Jack Davey, you had obviously Dom. Dom was a part of that. Um, I mean, and those just names that come off the top, but there was more artists kind of like bubbling in that first kind of shine where everybody was kind of like, oh, what's, what's popping in L.A.? You know what I'm saying? A couple artists got on the, ex, the freshman XXL cover. People kind of like, you know, went on these little tours. You and I, that was another group. You know, you had a lot of people who were kind of just buzzing at that time. The thing that I think was dope about that time was that L.A. was real colorful for the first time. You, know, you had cats wearing pink, blue, Yellow, like light green, white green. That's like if you really think about LA, most LA think when they think of black, 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 black LA Raiders, you know, Dodgers, maybe Kings, Kings, you know what I'm saying, and 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 marijuana because everybody smoked weed, whatever. But at that time, if you really look at the artists who came out, like it, it was like some colorful shit. Like you really be like, damn, like this person's got a whole thing. From aesthetically, that that was like L.A. was the perfect time to be in, and luckily I was from L.A. and I lived there, so I was like, oh shit, like damn, all I gotta do is just work with the local artists, and so that from that standpoint, like you said, me navigating it, it was it was just a blessing, man, because I really it was natural and it was it was it was cool because like these are cats that I became I, I hung out with, you know, what I'm saying we would play 2K together, NBA 2K, just chill at the crib, be like, oh, it's cool, all right, let's go make some beats or let's get on some rap shit or whatever, and. I just kind of naturally just kind of got introduced to all these kind of cliques of just like artists and stuff. This this space because everybody was like friends. Um, so at the time it was great, man. Like it's it's kind of like now thinking about it now, it's definitely different. Like because everybody's obviously older and everybody's maybe hit their thirties now or hit that you know 
late late twenties, whatever. And it's you know it's a newer, it's a new it's a new uh, new um, energy now. Where and that new energy is, I think everybody has moved to LA. Like a lot of artists have moved to LA, so it's not it's not like I don't feel the same. Like oh, this is an LA thing. I want to I want to fast forward to to Kendrick and and Money Trees and kind of go a little bit more in depth with that story. Uh, so Tunji. Yeah. Uh, Tunji presented that beat to. I, well, it was, it was a couple of different people. It was it was it was Tunji, he because he worked at Interscope at the time, and then my manager Brock, he was cool with all the TDU cats. Like he worked with Schoolboy a lot. He he worked with uh, started to work with Kendrick a lot. So it was it was a combination of like you know both of them kind of like hey check this out or hey you should listen you know what I'm saying so it and that was kind of good because it, you know when you start to hear. This person out of the mouths of like two or three people was like, okay, this person probably got some dope shit. So, um, but I remember that beat. I, I just, I just sent to everybody. I was like, yo, what do you think it is? And um, and I and I remember I prayed to God. I was, I, I remember because I went to went to uh, Coachella and I saw him perform. I was like, yo, this this dude is like, he, he's next. Like it just, I just felt like he was he was the next like big thing. And you know, I just remember at the time I was working at I was I was working at an art school, uh, not art school. I was working at uh, Marymount College in San Pedro, and um, I was as a dorm manager. So I was there and I was just working, in, and it was great because I had a lot of time to make beats while I was you know um, uh, working that job because it was flexible with my time and it wasn't a regular nine to five. So I had time to make beats on the side. So I just remember you know just sitting in the room and just you know going through a lot of ideas that I had made and. It was great because, you know, I think that that was one of the first time I really felt like, you know, my intention hit the mark. It was just like I really wanted it to happen. I made it. I sent the beat out. He, I, a couple weeks later, I get hit up. Yo, Kendrick wrote some crazy joint to this record. Come through the studio. I meet Kendrick. I meet Soundwave. I'm hanging out at Top Dog's house, and he played it for me. Uh, me and my niggas trying to get it, you bitch. And it was kind of crazy because it just it, it I had never heard a record like that before. It was like one of the films like, damn, what is this? And then it was like this, it was like this outcast trap mixed with West Coast vibe, but also alternative, like left shit. You know what I'm saying? This like a lot of combination of just like, you know, like I know everybody's gonna like this song. It wasn't just for black people, it wasn't just for white people, it wasn't just for Latinos, Asian, it was just for everybody. So just hearing it for her, I was like, okay, damn, this this record actually might do something. When it actually came out, I was that's just at my job. Like I was, and the, and the funny thing is, a lot of the students knew I made beats, so they knew I had I was working with Kendrick and stuff. And it was just like this, you know, you just start getting the phone calls. It's like, yo, this this song is crazy, or this is really dope. And um, so you were working a job when when it got released. Yeah, yeah, I was. Still work, I mean, I was working a job till. I mean, I didn't quit the job. I didn't even quit the job until maybe. Two or three years after the album came out, just because, what? just because I had to still, you know, I had to still pay the bills, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You still, yeah. The whole you, you think you get a placement on a, on a major record, it's cool, but you, you're not. You usually you're not making a lot of money at the very beginning. It's, it's just like it's a build. It's a build. It's a build. It's a build. So, um, and so you were working a job where when Worst Behavior came out. Yep. So working a job when Worst Behavior came. Out. I mean, when Worst Behavior came out, that's when I was like, okay, I think I need to quit. That's when, that's, when I, <laughs> that's when I was like, okay, I think it's time. I think it's time. Okay, so how did Drake's worst behavior 
because that was obviously the record that that the, I, I'll call I would call that two weeks notice. Yeah, <laughs> if I were you. No, I mean, no, I mean that's well. It was cool because at the time um, the record came out, and I I had uh, I had to sign a publishing deal with Sony. So initially, I just made the beat from me um, kind of just hanging out at the studio one day and just experimenting and not really having any idea of like what this beat was going to be. I just was like, yo. I have this kind of groove idea in my head, and I and I was just playing with some different percussion melody stuff, and it was like, oh, this is kind, this is kind of cool. Um, and then I don't, I think when I, and even when I made the beat, I didn't send it to Drake at all. Like I didn't send it, the beat out to anything. I just sent it to my manager. He sent it to them, and then I think I got a call back. It was like, yo, can you send the files? Because we, you know, we 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 um, I think we got, I think we got one. And this was maybe three, maybe three or four weeks before the album was supposed to come out. Um, and I guess they had wrote an idea to it and, and really finished the song within like a couple of days. And but then I got an email from Forty. Forty was like, "Yo, uh, Yosef Dai got your email from blah blah blah. Can you send us the file for this record? Like we, we're working on it and, and trying to get it real." So I was like, "Oh, that's serious." You know what I'm saying? You just like that means something. And then um, I think I, Drake called me like that that day or that night or something. He was like, "Yo, I'm in LA. I want you, I want to I want to play you the record." Shit's fire, like come through, like I, like you gotta hear this shit. Like he was like, thank you for this beat, man. This is this is one of the craziest beats I ever heard. I was like, oh, cool, all right. I'll see, I'll see you next week. And so, <laughs> so he comes out to LA, and this is when he shoots the video for um, what's the record? You better find my love. What's the, what's the oh, find my love, find my love, yeah, find my love. So he's shooting the video for that. Um, so I meet him at the video shoot. And so I'm just hanging out at the video suit, just like, you know, for a good hour, just kind of watching him act and do stuff. And I'm just sitting in the back. And then he comes up to me. He's like, hey, bro. He gives me a hug, man. Yeah, man. Thank you, bro. Thank you, man. Like, let's, let's hang out after this, this, this shoot, whatever. I was like, all right. I was like, cool. So um, so we hang out. And then I, uh, I think we go to, like, some, like, restaurant, some spot, like, some Beverly Hills crazy-ass, like, Lunch in spot, um, and you all hanging out, and I'm just like waiting to just hear the record. I'm just chilling. Drake's talking to his people, or whatever, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm you know I'm just hanging out. Kind of like didn't know anybody. I knew a couple people, but I didn't know everybody. So I'm just kind of like amongst his his crew, and so he finally Oliver kind of like yo take him silent. I'm gonna play the record. So he, he's playing the record. I'm like, okay, this is really gonna be something. This might be something. <laughs> this might be something. And so where, where where did he take you in the in the Beverly? He just it was a. Uh, it was like a G wagon they had in in a, in a lot, you know what I'm saying? And and they just like it just had had all the out had the music on the iPod so or the iPhone so he just played it for me there and I was like, damn, this is kind of crazy. Worst, motherfucker never loved us. Fucker never loved us. You ain't know now, you know now. Still at the scrub jays with a toothbrush. Shit, niggas still playing my old shit. So, um, so it, was, it was a cool event because I, I knew and I think the week that record was coming out like the next week or something like that so I, it was just crazy it was just one of the moments you're just like okay um, this actually might really be something uh, I'm going to fast forward over to to the newest stuff you're working on you work you have five songs yep. on on Damn mm-hmm. uh, what's your favorite song on, on the album <sighs> that's a good question um, the most creative song that I've I fuck with the most is probably Lust. I just think that the, the vibe of the record and how we made it move and feel, like, it was just, like, I just remember hearing it for the first time. It was like, yo, this this, this is kind of crazy. I mean, Lust was really uh, an idea that 
um, he had got from uh, Bad Bad Not Good. Uh, shout out to them. Um, good friends, good homies. Um, and so they had the, this idea they sent to Kendrick. And then Kendrick, had, I think, had Soundwave, um, his, his, his in-house producer, um, start an idea with it, with these, um, these, uh, these drums. And so when I came in, it, he, had, he started a verse um, and had some sketch idea with the drum and stuff, but it wasn't flushed out. So when I came in, I kind of like just kind of replaced all the parts and be like, all right, so let's, let me put this here. Let me try that there. Um, let me try some different grooves. Like we, we talk, we always talk about like different drum grooves. Like, oh, can you, we want this kind of swing from the nineties with this pocket or let's listen to this, this bad boy record or from here, or, but also listen to this, uh, you know, rock record here. So, and just start to piece it together. So literally, you know, that, that record was just like a, it was, it, we surg- we did a lot of surgery to it and it probably took around like, you know, a good couple months to actually finish where it was like, okay, we, we, we're done trying stuff. Like let's just, just kind of get the groove and, and try to, because one thing about working with him and working with Kendrick is cool is, is that, you know, as long as we know we have the, the heart and soul of the record, that's when we can, after that, we can really start experimenting. We can really start to be like, okay, let's take that out. Let's put this here. Let's put that there because the song has to, it just has to be a song. It has to be a full song or a full, like a full concept. We are definitely, we're listening to a lot of like '90s rap grooves and stuff. It was like, yo, this is, we love that pocket. So let's put that pocket on so people can dance. You know, what I'm saying afterwards when they hear the record after the reverse drums groove and pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of like spending time of just like, you know, listening to it, take stuff out. You know, um, uh, loyalty. Yeah. Um, give me the backstory behind that record. Uh, loyalty came from um, essentially just just. Me and Kendrick being in the studio, um, he had this idea that uh, uh, Soundwave and I think Terrace Martin had started and uh, was, the, was pretty much the main sample of the, of the, of the melody uh, looping in the, the beat. And so he uh, came to the studio, brought the sample, loved it. Like, yo, I want to try to flip it. So I was like, all right, cool. Uh, pull it up. And then all of a sudden, I, I just... I just started putting some drums on it. I was like, okay, let's try, let's fuck with these drums. So I put the drums on there and it kind of came pretty fluid. Like I, I just grooved it. And then Kendrick and I just was in the studio and we just started coming up with like kind of cadences and, and melody ideas for the record. And um, he had it in his mind. was like, yo, I, I want Rihanna to be on this. Like he just had it in his mind. Like, yo, this is going to be that type of record where I think this year she can rap on something like this. And we just built it out, wrote it out, and um, it was dope because that was one of the first time where I actually got a chance to really write melodies uh, on, on a record like that where I came in and was like, yo, let's, let's write this melody for that. And then he just kind of gave me the words and I just sang it. And um, yeah, it kind of came out to being, you know, he kept, kept my vocals on the record and, and kept the pocket and stuff. And I wasn't in the session when him and Rihanna got in together to actually record and uh, write the stuff. But she, I think they had a session in New York and they also had a session in Los Angeles. And then he sent he sent it back to me the next day. It was like, yo, what you think it is? And I was like, yo, this is kind of fire. You know, in my head, I I was like, man, I, I know. I, I just a couple of things I wanted to try. Like, I was like, oh, what if we tried this, um, these 
the, these different tribal drums under this or tried these, this chord progression over stuff. And, and also to like making sure, you know, all the vocal takes is right. We get the right vocal takes, we get the right cuts, we get the, all this stuff. But, you know, t and when it came out, I was, I was like, yo, we got it right. Like it just, it just felt perfect. It felt good. Um, didn't need anything extra. It was just like, it hit, hit the mark of like, okay, this is, this is a full record. And I think as a parent like that, people people seem to really vibe with it, and, and people seem to really feel with um, the message. And it, it didn't feel like a forced collaboration. Like it didn't feel like I'm trying to make a single, I'm trying to make a hit. It's like, yo, let's just make a really good song, and then you know let the fans kind of pick it and see where it goes. But it seems dope. It seems to hit that mark, and I think people 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 seem to be in love with it. So, but Dahi, man, thank you so much, man, for for being here on the show. Yes, for sir. For being a, a avid lover of Big Baller Brand. Why you gonna say that, man? <laughs> you cold, man. You funny. Funny guys over here. Funny guys. Dai sent me a big baller brand care package, man. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, I, man. Did, I'm joking. I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. It's on layaway. That's for sure. <laughs> Coming to a TJ Maxx near you. <laughs> Coming to a Marshalls or Ross. <laughs> no, but Dai, thanks so much for being on the show, man. It's a pleasure having you. No, thank uh, you, bro. And I can't uh, wait to continue to follow you and watch you grow, man. Hey, same as you, man. Love the show, man. You're that dude. Yeah, you too. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 